0: to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host Ellie Mae Taylor and we're back to preview this weekend's Japanese Grand Prix. Joining me as ever of the Hello Kitty and Pikachu to my Godzilla, Jesse Billington and Timo Albus daily How are you both?
1: I'm excellent, thank you. How are you?
0: Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about being Godzilla.
2: The compliment. Is it? Is it really a compliment to call a woman Godzilla? That seems a bit more like a sort of year eight insult. Fiery nature and tenacious and passionate about what she does results of horrific nuclear testing around the Pacific Rim. It's not a way... I feel like you're focusing on the
1: negatives.
2: I don't think you're very good when it comes to rizzing up the ladies. No. I think that's the first time I've ever opened the podcast with the phrase rizzing up the ladies as well, so there's a first time for that. Which which, which means that you have a surprisingly decent track record considering that's how you talk. (laughs) It's probably the first time I've ever used that phrase and frankly I don't like it, but anyway... um, I'm all right, very damp because pissing it down over here like proper stair rods coming out of the sky sort of thing but and also I've been first week I've been driving the Jimny as well I've put the MG back in the garage and I forgot just how bad the Suzuki is to drive like it slides about all over the place every roundabout it's a dab of opposite lock just to stop it going round on you but what can I say catching a little slide a born racing driver
0: Which yeah sure I was good
2: with that oh yeah. with that
0: crazy when you consider the alternative that you drive as a midget
2: yeah but that's somehow better to drive and better in the rain despite being 30 to 40 years older than the Suzuki and the Suzuki is on like off road tyres but eh.
0: anyway we will go into what the hell has happened and there is some news from the Singapore Grand Prix that we did not cover in our review yes
1: basically just mopping up a bit of afters here because we were curious as to how Max Verstappen was able to get up to the rear end of Charles de Plaire quite as quickly as he managed it. And turns out Charles was actually doing pretty well to retain P4 in Singapore. As it was revealed, he was suffering from an even power unit in the final phase of the race, hence why Verstappen caught him so quickly and nearly took him on the line. So Charles doing not too bad there, all things considered. And uh, that should hopefully be Singapore closed case for now.
2: Yeah, one of the few Singaporeans that's a closed case. Um, yeah, I think it, it's interesting to see that the Ferrari power units coming over all Ferrari. Um, this is the first time they've really had a big power unit issue for the sort of the manufacturing team since, honestly, Bahrain, where they retired or Charles retired in the race with a problem. But I can't remember if they've had any further retirement. Yes,
0: their reliability later, has been don't. much better, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, it's not been too shabby. So it's. We
0: should not have also said
1: this now, though, because we have all collectively jinxed them. Yeah.
0: Yes, but it was at the expense of their power or engine power, because that has been reduced to allow for reliability, hasn't it?
2: Somewhat, yes. Yeah, they haven't got necessarily the fastest power unit on the grid, but it is a lot more reliable than I think people give it credit for. Certainly, more so than the power and hydraulic units in the Alpine like we saw with Esteban Ocon but that's pretty much yesterday's fish wrapper at this point um, we'll move on to some potential news that's sitting on the horizon and Alpha Tauri are expected to retain Yuki Sonoda and Daniel Ricciardo while Williams are looking to retain Logan Sargent so this is some interesting news really considering the wider implications this has on the driver market and massively overlooks the talent that's currently sitting in the top end of Formula 2 as well as Liam Lawson who is performing fantastically well well in that second Alpha seat. So what do you two think Alpha should do? Which way do you think they should sign?
1: I'm siding with the poll that I put up on our Instagram page earlier today, which at the moment has Lawson Ricardo is the majority favored for 2024. And weirdly, Yuki and Ricardo has a score of minus 1%, although I'm not quite sure how that's happened. But <laughs> I'm sticking with that because you've got some exciting Driver in Liam, as we've seen already, and you've got the experience of Daniel Ricciardo. So even if he's not the Daniel of old, that is a massive benefit for Lawson to learn enough. And he can learn a lot more from Ricciardo than he could from Yuki. Yuki's had three seasons. Go somewhere else, if anywhere, in the grid, or just go and open a restaurant. Sergeant, fair enough. I can kind of see why Williams want to keep him. But at the same time, maybe... If it doesn't improve significantly next year, Lawson could then go to Williams in twenty-five, and it's it seems more favourable that way. Because getting rid of a driver after one season always seems really mean, especially when no offense, Latifi, but Latifi gets three seasons. So I think I can see why they want to stick with their drive from their driver academy.
2: The one pinch of salt I'll add to the Latifi argument is there was never really anyone that was suited to move up yet. That is that is the one reason. Not from their driver academy anyway. Not from their driver academy, and I think there wasn't anyone that was available so much to be poached. I think the closest they could have gotten would have been perhaps the Teo Porcher or maybe a Drogovic. But at the time, they weren't really an appealing option either, so they weren't having people approaching them, neither were they in a position to poach. So it's double Ironically
1: enough, Liam Lawson might have been.
2: Uh, yeah, might well have been, but equally, Drogovic is, however, now pushing ahead with talks with Williams. So we know he can perform quite well. He's in practice sessions and certainly pre-season testing proven with Aston Martin to be a pretty safe pair of hands and arguably more safe than one of the drivers they have in their lineup and able to perform a lot closer to Fernando Alonso than I think people will give him credit for. So if you're Williams pitting Sargent against Drugovic purely based off of, off of performance, which way would you be more willing to lean? Bear in mind that Drugovic also now knows the Mercedes power unit. I would have taken
0: him last year anyway. I would still go for Liam Lawson. I guess it all depends how well Daniel Ricciardo does when he's back. If he's able to out-qualify and out-race Yuki consistently, then I think Yuki has to be replaced by Lawson. Do I think Yuki's a bad driver? No. I would like him to kind of stay in F1, but I'd rather see Lawson more because I think there's more talent and potential there. It's kind of in the same sense, I believed Sargent should have another season, but then Lawson came about, and again, I think Lawson has more potential than Sargent. And I guess if... I guess I kind of hope that alpha tarry take on lawson which means then there's not three people fighting for one seat at williams so that then um can hopefully also sort of put his foot in the door with williams because if you look at the two who are you going to go for you're going to go for lawson because he's got more race experience and a proven track record more so than dragovic who hasn't had the chance to get in a Formula One uh, race yet which is unfortunate because obviously he was kind of going to be racing in Bahrain but that kind of got snatched away from him <laughs>
1: The only thing I'll say at the end of that to finish off is that I can understand maybe where AlphaTerry are coming from if they don't want to sign Lawson because potentially they don't want to risk another Nick De Vries situation where here's a driver that looks promising in a short space of time, sign him up immediately and oh, we overestimated that one a bit in a few ways there. So that's the only thing I can think of. I don't think that's what they should do anyway I still think it should be Lawson and Ricardo next year but I can maybe see if that's where
2: they're coming from by the end of this weekend Lawson will have had four times the amount of Formula One mm. race experience that's why I was kind of going a street into the
1: argument but...
2: and equally I'd argue that he has in that time proven far more as well beyond simply oh well they both scored points when they first drove an F1 when they in their first stints in F1 cars yeah but Lawson has proven to be a very reliable set of hands and someone who could actively race. De Vries very much sort of lucked into that point in Monza in the Williams last year. That was very much a sort of fluke happenstance. Lawson's had to actually fight and prove racecraft within formula 1 equally this is something he has been training and being developed by Red Bull to do it would be a huge waste of an opportunity that he's come along he's had a fr- essentially a free chance for Red Bull to sort of see if the work they've put into him as a driver has paid off it has it would make a hell of a lot of sense for them to install him into that seat for next year um continuing the uh, subject Can of I, driver talk yeah just, one more point well just one more
0: point um i'd also say with De Vries had his chance at Monza, which is there's not many breaking points, turns, whilst Lawson has had to do, like Singapore, the most challenging race on the F1 calendar, and he got points.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, bear in mind in Zandvoort, he was catapulted into that seat very late in the weekend. He just had FP3 and then was straight into qualifying. So he really had it stacked against him. And in Zandvoort, he didn't look out of his depth. So he's he's proven so far that he's quite capable and is one of the positive results of Red Bull's Driver Academy when it looks at his younger drivers. Um, we'll move on from Alpha Towery and Williams to Alpha Romeo and. Um, essentially the fact they've been reportedly quite divided internally over their driver lineup moving forwards. And many people around the important tables at Alpha Romeo wanted both drivers replaced with Hulkenberg and Drugovic touted as options. But instead, we heard last week that they were instead re-signing Joe and Bottas. Um, although Bottas has yet to be truly confirmed. I think they're going to do Jo first and then quietly announce Bottas to follow. But would we have liked to have seen Hulkenberg and Drugovic at Alpha Romeo then?
1: I'd like to see Drogovic there, but not Hulk, because I like what he's doing at Hassan and potentially building from there. I could see Hulk maybe going in 25 if Audi gave him enough promise and he said he's been interested, but he's doing well at Hassan. and he's got the ability to become the number one driver there without too much more effort. So don't rock that particular boat. And I think Drogovic and Joe would have been an interesting combination just because for Joe, give him his third season, let's find out if it's there is something there or not if he's a good driver if he can be a great driver and then Drogovic you see what's happening there Bottas he is just nowhere I mean again if you take the fact that we like him as a person out of the equation if we look at based on just the the bad luck the teams are getting his results what he been able to do with the car he's not really been anywhere and I don't think he would be too heartbroken if he did leave Formula 1 he seems to be perfectly content having a lot of fun elsewhere and would potentially be better suited to something like IndyCar. So I don't, and it would open up an opportunity for a younger driver to come in and get a spot that arguably should have already been his.
2: Mm, Teo Butcher, namely. Um, I, yeah. I'm not Drogovic. Or Drogovic, rather, even in that case, yeah.
0: I guess the issue of having Drogovic and Djergornu in one team, well, especially it being Alfa Romeo and their current sort of instability as they're changing into different kind of form of team is that I don't think there's enough experience behind them both to help push forward a new team into where, you know, Sauda then Albi, Al- then Audi would like to be. So I guess that's why they're not going with a rookie and someone that's just had a few years experience within F1. So I guess the better driver lineup would have been Joe and Holkenberg.
2: It's definitely something that you can see why they've potentially looked at retaining Bottas is the fact that he has this knowledge that can be passed onto the team as well as not just a younger driver. This is still a relatively young team and one that we don't know a great deal about the inner workings of. It's not one that you often see poaching other people in the same way that we've seen McLaren, Red Bull and Aston Martin all trading blows when it comes to major team personnel. Audi and Sauber have been pretty quiet and short of Andreas Seidel heading over in preparation for it becoming Audi. It's a very quiet team when it comes to the sort of people behind the scenes. And I think that it needs a well-established driver with a good knowledge of the racing scene to help sort of mentor the rest of the team, let alone a junior driver alongside him. So I think Bottas or indeed Hülkenberg were viable options. But I think possibly if they were to sort of go down the mistaken Haas route that we saw in 2021, where they signed two rookies, that is not what you need.
1: Or potentially get someone who does both things for you and just sign up Sebastian Vettel in a managerial capacity, something similar to a Nicky Lauda role, and then he can do a bit of everything for the rest of them and help be that glue that binds them all together. Or the same. Doesn't matter who's in your driver lineup then, because you've got his experience
2: with you. Yeah, or the same as Button at Williams, that sort of thing, where you have an established driver that's able to coach the team, let alone the drivers, through how to get through a race weekend efficiently and equally how to develop a car.
0: And you also have then have someone with championship-winning background. I guess with Bottas, he comes from, albeit it'll be a few years, late kind of old now but he still has that experience from Mercedes that were winning consistently when he was there
2: yeah he was a a key element to Mercedes being able to romp home with as many constructors world championships as they did through his span at the team and I think that he understands that the formation of a team and the way that one is run is crucial to achieving as much as a constructor can. Um, We'll move on from some what-ifs to something that is now very much a certainty and an extended contract to 2026.
0: Yes, Oscar Piastri has extended his contract with McLaren and like you said, will remain in the team until 2026, which I'm in two minds about this. At the moment, it seems like a good move for both sides. For McLaren, they've signed an exceptional driver. I mean, it's no it's a no brainer why they're keeping him. And I don't think I have to explain why Oscar deserves a seat in F1 to anyone. On Oscar's side, he's now got stability. He knows he's in F1 for the long term. And it's with a team that's on the up and currently in a podium fighting contention. But we've seen over sort of recent years how McLaren tends to go up and down in their performance, albeit it's been sort of over the course of technical regulation changes as well. But do you think he's locked himself in for too long? Yes, he kind of, he's made the correct decision to go to McLaren and not, not stick the, with the easy option of um, being with Alpine like he could have been. But when there's sort of that second Red Bull seat wide open, wouldn't you perhaps keep your options open? Or do you think Mark Webber would stick was too with too McLaren by Red Bull but he sort of made sure Piastri stays clear of them?
1: I'd stick with McLaren because like you say, for now they're on the right track. And if they can keep on this track with the new regs and they can keep these kind of good upgrades coming, it makes sense. And until end of twenty twenty six means you get a taste of the new regulations and then you can decide maybe halfway through the year if you like what mcflaren has been able to do with them or not, and how much potential they have for after that. And then potentially you can look at that second Red Bull seat if it's still as fluid as it is now and go there or go somewhere else because he's young, he's an incredibly good driver, and we saw how much drama there was to try and snatch him up last year. So I reckon if, as long as he keeps his head down and just gets on with the job in hand and plays the team game for the next year or two, I mean, he's going to have a long career regardless, and he could potentially have his pick of where he wants to go. And after a year of the new regulations, he can do what he wants. Essentially, so I think it's a smart move.
0: I guess we also have to remember that whilst F1 and drivers like F1 teams and their drivers like stability, they can also be quite fickle. And probably in their contracts, there's clauses from both sides saying. McLaren can drop Piastri if he's not performing and Piastri can leave the team if another is scouting him and McLaren aren't performing.
2: There's definitely going to be those two additional pieces. And equally, you've got to bear in mind that McLaren's performance, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, has actually been relatively stable right up until the end of the last batch of technical regulations, they were really coming onto a fine form. It takes them a little while to understand new technical regulations, but at the same time, they're a relatively small outfit compared to the likes of the new size of Aston Martin, Red Bull and Mercedes. They are enormous teams and McLaren is still operating on a slightly smaller scale and a slightly smaller budget, so it does take them that little bit longer. But the fact that with their renewed efforts and their renewed input, they've been able to catch up to those front leading teams a lot quicker under the new regulations. They've been able to understand the current aero process of their car and the way that it behaves and why it has the dynamics it does. They've been able to make these big advancements with these huge upgrade packages. We saw them come in in Austria, and Silverstone. We're seeing another one wrap up now with Piastri getting it in Suzuka. So there's going to be this sort of rebuilt McLaren that's now understanding this batch of technical regulations. And it's worth remembering that the new regulations that come in are power plant-based. McLaren aren't looking to build engines. They're still likely going to be a customer team from Mercedes. So there's going to be every chance they're going to end up with ultimately a fairly good engine. The new Mercedes haven't really made a dud power unit for quite some time. And I think they have a strong understanding of what's being determined from the new one. So ultimately they're going to come into 2026 with a very similar car aerodynamically. That's that's remaining fairly unchanged. It's going to be small tweaks through the season, which they are quicker and quicker understanding as the years go by and they're going to be coming into it with a relatively proficient power unit. They're going to maintain this sort of, sort of, not necessarily front leading, but certainly front fighting format and sort of performance level. I think Piastri signing into that with a good bit of confidence in it shows that he and his team behind him, Mark Webber, have looked at the broader picture and sort of taken into account the elements that have made up potential fluctuations within McLaren's performance. But you've got to bear in mind just how the driving factors behind those fluctuations were possibly down to an old style of team. It's been hugely rejuvenated with a huge amount of new brain power coming into it. That's something that's worth considering as you move forwards. And equally, when it comes to that Red Bull seat, I don't think he's in contention for it. He is a good driver and he's proved himself to be able to go wheel to wheel with some of the best we've got on the grid at the moment. But ultimately, Red Bull have expressed no interest in trying to poach him. All eyes there were either on Charles Leclerc or Lando Norris, really, for those seats. Or maybe somehow trying to woo Lewis Hamilton into it. Highly unlikely. But at the end of the the day, that's not something that Red Bull wants. And I don't think it's something that Piastri and his team really were concerned with. What they wanted was to ensure that he had a competent team that he also at this point has understood and has bonded very well with. The team seems to get on well with him and he's been pretty wreck free as well this season by and large. He's not caused any major shunts or been too sort of expensive to keep on as a driver. So I think that's a, that's a huge positive. And equally, McLaren has heritage from that end of the Pacific. They're essentially a Kiwi team. If you wind the clock back far enough, having an Australian driver in there is a nice little handshake across the Tasman Sea. So it's it's a, a sort of good format for them to retain, I think.
0: I agree. I just like to have, make thought-provoking questions.
2: Stir the pot with some good questions. We do like that. Um, Speaking of good questions, or certainly one that's very relevant in the UK news, because of course we had Rishi Sunak rolling back the 2030 agreement with producing um, petrol and diesel cars in the UK, um, Formula One has released a small graphic about its sustainability or its um, carbon emissions across its European leg. Formula One used 18 biofuel powered trucks covering 10,600 kilometres with 300 tons of freight and through the use of this biofuel they were able to reduce their carbon emissions by 83 percent and admittedly this has come from a small graphic they put up on their twitter account i think it appeared on their instagram account as well and it really ought to be taken with a huge pinch of salt as this probably doesn't account for the teams haulage as well as that of pirelli and the countless other brands that are swept along in the circus plus teams and driver transport you've got to bear in mind that there's all the things like the paddocks, extra paddock bits that you come along with it, all the merchandise that gets shipped around as well. Plus, the fact that Pirelli has its own freight and haulage setup. All the teams have their own freight and haulage setups with sort of localized bits that get shipped around. I know Mercedes were working on using biofuels for their trucks this year. I don't believe every team was because it is expensive to obtain and you need a budget that can support that at the end of the day. But It's a step in the right direction, but literally the same day that Formula One posted this, Charles posted a picture of him getting onto a private jet to fly from Singapore to Zuzuka. So at the end of the day, it's being completely undone by a lack of awareness. I want to try and say this in the nicest possible way. I think it's a lack of awareness from the drivers as to what they're doing and how they're portraying it, more so than just callous Uber consumption. Seems like it's flirting with greenwashing ever so slightly, and just
1: seems like if you're going to put that graphic up, at least have this asterisk saying all of these other bits that are relevant to the wider conversation. Not just look at the headline; don't actually read the story.
2: It is very much a. Uh something that flirts on the boundaries of greenwashing, and I think you would be fair to accuse it of such. If you did a bit more digging, I didn't really get much of a chance to as in the office today, but I'm sure you could dig far beyond it and find out exactly the statistics that go into this and where it all comes from. And You've got to look at obviously things like the generators that are used in the paddock to supply additional electricity. Formula E ensures that it, no, Extreme E and Formula E ensure theirs comes from renewable sources with a minimal carbon footprint. I don't believe Formula One does the same thing. You've got to look at the plastic waste that it produces as a race compared to the likes of Formula E or indeed Extreme E, which obviously has a very small paddock and no live audiences. But at the same time, through process that has a smaller carbon footprint and is kinder to the environment. Equally, Extreme E um, works hard to ensure there's not detritus left from cars. It ships stuff around in a relatively ecologically sane manner. I think Formula 1 is doing well to greenwash itself but as soon as you start to add in a bit of contrast to other sports that are doing something a bit different it all of a sudden seems like um sort of pissing in the ocean it's not really going to change the salinity I mean even IndyCar has its own unique and individual ways of doing it including using um plant-based rubber for producing its tires so it's not actually sort of vulcanizing fresh rubber it's getting it from a natural sustainable resource yeah, there are more things Formula One could be doing and at the end of the day, it's a nice graphic, it's a nice sentiment and it's nice they're put in the effort but ultimately... But needs yeah, ultimately this is like sort of emptying a salt shaker into the sea.
0: What track was it that they were testing sort of a more environmentally friendly generators or something like that, was that...?
2: Austria, I think it was. yeah. I think it was Austria. I know certain circuits have made independent strides to be better. I know that... Spain uses, obviously famously uses sheep to keep the grass cut short on the sort of runoff areas and around the circuit, and equally reprocesses leftover food waste in an incinerator to produce electricity. Individual circuits are making interesting steps forward. But this is something I can't remember if I mentioned this after Silverstone, but there were QR codes to scan on the back of all the seats in the grandstands. And it was a questionnaire asking you how you travel to the circuit today to see how many people are traveling via means of public transport, which is widely regarded as being more environmentally friendly than simply driving to an event in per- private transport. And that is hugely offset then by the fact that it has its own entire freaking heli field where there's helicopters taking off every 50 seconds to shuttle people to and from the nearby hotel. Like, it's, it feels a bit fruitless, me sort of having my beer in a recyclable cup if you're flying people in and out with helicopters every 30 seconds. I uh, still so so f-
0: put a
2: kid in it Oh go on.
0: No, I was just going to say Silverstone's incredibly hard to get to in public transport.
2: It's not easy to get to, but for the Formula One weekend, they operate a shuttle bus system from Toaster, from Northampton, Mm. from the nearby major towns. So you can take coaches and trains into the bigger towns and then be shuttle bused in further. But that's a moot point when they're literally helicoptering in the highest paying visitors from nearby hotels. Like, that seems to lose the point. A little bit.
1: uh, Just because we could have our own podcast on this whole thing, or maybe we'll do that in the off-season, which that may go on for quite a while. I would like to do that. Um,
2: (laughs) I would like to do that. I'd like to get Hazel Selfwell back on to talk about greenwashing in sports and the importance of actually making a difference, which I know she being a sort of a journalist with extreme evil will understand hugely. Um so we'll move on from you that one of the though, yes,
1: because Alex albon apparently is the driver who's lined up to tackle the 24 hours of Daytona next year, according to journalist Marshall Pruitt, which begs the question if Williams get good. Is this kind of practice for seeing Alex make a run for the triple crown? Because obviously Daytona is not part of it. It's Le Mans, Monaco, and the Indy 500, but not a bad place to start. And actually interesting place for him. He's had the experience in endurance racing before, so... Has he? Maybe. Well, he did, didn't he? That was i example when he wasn't driving for Red Bull for that one year. He did DTM. DTM, close enough to endurance.
2: Not really sort of like an hour and a half. Theta, it's
1: not single seater. It's It's different. It's good enough. I,
2: I don't think it's really that close to endurance racing at all. It's a very different It's closer than Formula One is. It's closer to NASCAR than it is endurance. And NASCAR is a Which is
1: also further away from Formula One. So we take it in the right direction. Just go with it. And is he going to go for the triple
2: crown? Moving further away from Formula One does not make it moving closer to Weck. That that's just like going going left does not mean you're moving further away to the right. It's the fact if you, you go met,
1: further left enough, you come back on the right. So really.
2: Stop being facetious. The fact of the matter is that this is, I think this is definitely going to be Albon's sort of first proper dip in the water when it comes to official endurance racing. The 24 Hours of Daytona is a hotly contested race. And last year in one of the classes, we saw a pretty much photo finish. I think it was the LMP2 series. Um, we're seeing an increase in the amount of cars entering the hypercar class. Alpine have pulled the covers off of their latest car, the A522, I think it's called. Um, and then we've also got Lamborghini who've announced their WEC, challenger. And I think they've got Roman Grosjean signed up for it. Porsche Porsche, Ferrari, Cadillac have all got cars that are up and running at the moment as well. So it's an interesting class up at the top end of the field. So presumably we're going to see Albon running in the Hypercast class as opposed to GT or um, LMP2. But this is all at the moment circumspect and it's we believe that Al, this is what is Albon that's going to be doing this. But th- the argument for making a triple crown run isn't too far-fetched because Le Mans doesn't clash with an F1 weekend, I don't believe. It's purposefully structured to do that. The Indy 500, less so. Um, But with Monaco, it is a qualifying circuit and, and his qualifying hasn't been too shabby around circuits that support the Williams, provided the Williams is good enough coming into next year, the year after, there is every chance he could sort of bang in a good quality, get P1, hold on to it, win the Monaco Grand Prix, and then line up to take um, at least one third of the Triple Crown, which would put him on par with Antonio Giovanazzi, a man who has still led more laps of the Singapore Grand Prix than Max Verstappen.
0: You annoy- I annoying. feeling you are going to bring the
2: statistic up. To- I'm never going to miss a chance to talk about my boy, Antonio.
0: You annoyingly can't do all three in one year because, like you said, I think Indy 500 falls the same weekend as Monaco. Yep, Taylor. Yeah, and then, but you could go win at Monaco and then it is a couple of weeks in between, isn't it, really? Uh, Then go off to Le Mans.
2: Yes, yeah. Le Mans sort of falls between F1 race weekends and there is there is no reason that he wouldn't be able to do at least two thirds of it in one year and then simply do what Alonso did one year and install a Jensen Button into his seat and go and do Indy 500. I don't know where he's going to get a tie to find Indy 500 drive. Uh, that would be an interesting one. We'd have to wait and see there.
0: Where's he going for a hypercar in Le, I, Le Mans
2: I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead either. Possibly Porsche. I don't know if Williams had any advanced, Williams advanced engineering ties to any of the hypercar class, but it'd be interesting one to dig around and find out.
0: Unless he moves to something like Aston Martin and then Aston Martin.
2: Pull their thumb out of the their and get the Valkyrie project back up to LMDH spec. That's a big ask because they sort of officially pulled the plug on that, I think, and then sort of flirted with it. I can't remember if Aston Martin is still Aston Martin Endurance Hyper. They
0: are currently making the road car version.
2: There's the Valkyrie and then they have the LMH project, but I believe six days ago, Aston Martin is close to reviving LMH project for 2025 WEC and IMSA. There
0: you go. Because I think if I remember correctly, if you would like the road car version of the Valkyrie, they're only making a hundred of them, and they are eight hundred and ninety thousand pound each.
2: I thought they were far more than that.
0: No, I think, or is that the muck? That might be the muck.
2: McMurtry Spearling.
0: Spearing. I think that's the McMurtry Spearling that's
2: a hundred with eight hundred ninety thousand actually. McMurtry Spear because they've just done the McMurtry Spearling Pure or something, which is the road car one, which is um, nine hundred eighty four thousand um, pounds. The Aston Martin Valkyrie. They've built 150 coupes, 85 spiders, um, and they cost two and a half million pounds each, plus tax. That takes it up to around three million in the UK. So, yeah,
0: champion there. Um,
2: mm, 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 When it comes to Williams' engineering ties to. Mm, mm,
0: mm. They create the Formula E batteries, don't they? They have
2: all sorts of different bits and pieces kicking around. I can't remember if they've got any links to the ongoing Endurance series. Um, bit of digging. British Touring Car Championships, Le Mans. They've sort of stopped doing Le Mans bits in 2000. Formula E. So yeah, they haven't really had anything to do with that side of things for quite some time. Um. Mm-mm-mm. They worked with Singer to do the Singer Nine Elevens, uh, Williams Hybrid Power, but yeah, nothing that's linked to Formula uh, No endurance at the moment. So that'd be an interesting leap to see happen if it indeed does.
0: Go to Alpine then, or Ferrari?
2: I, mm, I I'd more go to Ferrari than I would Alpine. I don't. I. They've only just unveiled their car and are testing it. And I think a lot of other teams took way over a year to get their car deved properly for this. So we'd we'll wait and see. Anyway, that's all we've got time for when it comes to news. We'll start having a look towards the Japanese Grand Prix and crucially what weather can we expect well out there at the moment in the mie prefecture we've got a thunderstorm advisory that's hanging over the area so that's going to be quite fun um thursday is set to be 32 degrees celsius but with a lot of rain so it could be a tricky one for any race preparation and sort of advanced expeditions around the track friday is going to be a bit cooler 29 degrees celsius but even more rain so it's going to be a very soggy set of practice rounds uh, saturday though it does dry up 31 degrees celsius but that it's going to be a very greasy and very green track. And come Sunday, it's 30 degrees Celsius, so surprisingly warm for sort of late in September. but there is a slightly higher risk of rain. I only think it's about sort of two or 3% sort of risk of rain and coverage. Um, But I, so I doubt it will really impact the race significantly, but watch me be wrong. We've had some wet uh, Japans prior to this and I wouldn't be surprised if we have some more, which leads us into the very tricky question of which on-track battles should we look out for? And it's actually, now quite hard to say, depends really on how well Red Bull are able to dial in their floor. This was the main problem they suffered around Singapore. So McLaren looked to be very competitive, even with Piastri getting the next set of upgrades, he'll be on form with Norris and able to rear-gun for him, or possibly even vice versa. Ferrari's current form is also promising, and I wouldn't be surprised to see another strong science performance in Zazuka. A lot of medium to mid-speed corners isn't necessarily Mercedes' favourite territory, so we'll wait and see what they're able to produce come a sort of practice one and certainly into qualifying. Aston Martin could be at risk of Alpine on track. It entirely depends on the setup of the two teams and how close Stroll is able To run to Alonso to act as a defensive line. Williams have a good shot here with a relatively flowing and fast track, ideal for their setup. Hopefully, this will give Sargent a chance to get his foot on the ladder points wise. Lawson, who's touted to still be driving for Alpha will be against Yuki at home, so he's not necessarily got the crowd advantage here, but it's going to be a circuit he knows well from racing there in uh, Super Formula. But if Alfa Romeo is able to get the setup on point, there could be an interesting chase for the tailing points from the Fianza of outfits alfa romeo and Haas will likely struggle here as their platforms don't tend to perform well at high speed but i'm willing to be surprised as ever which leads us nicely into our predictions i'm the odd one out on this one so would either of you like to explain why you've chosen max verstappen as your pole position sitter does
0: it does it need explaining
2: uh no I think it's quite obvious. I think you're just sort of banking on solid points here. Well, he so. <laughs> well then, I guess I would to explain why I've chosen Lando Norris as the outlier. I don't know. I just think the McLaren's are going to be strong here. And we've seen him qualifying quite well. He's on good form. And I think he's got, I don't think he's setting out to prove anything from Singapore, but he's on fine form afterwards. And I think he'll be looking to carry that momentum on. So I wouldn't be surprised if we at least see a pole position from the Brit. When it comes to podiums, we've all gone very different, but we've all picked Lando Norris somewhere in the mix. Ellie May will I start with to. yours. Yeah. Well, you had to because of your weird little rule. But Ellie May, will start with yours, as that's a, the most interesting.
0: I've gone for Verstappen-Norris-Piastri. Um, Verstappen, I feel, again, is maybe a bit... Self-explanatory, as like you said, as long as their floor comes good, then they'll probably be back to their usual winning ways. Um Norris proved that the upgrades on the McLaren are pretty good. So that's why I put him in second and Piastri then in third, because obviously he's he's now got the upgrades as well. And I think it's about time that he got on the podium. He deserves it. It's
2: about damn right. time. Uh, Timo, you've very much gone for, or well, you've gone back to your rule of picking what happened in the previous race. You've got Science Norris Hamilton. I had one
1: exception of that, and it didn't go well, so I thought I'll stick to the rule I've given myself this year. So I'll go for the result of the last race and honestly if we got that podium again i wouldn't be mad because it was a pretty nice podium and if we can get a similar battle for achieving that then solid solid as a rock in terms of a race
2: I don't think we'd achieve that podium again without it being an interesting race. I I don't think you're getting that qualifying order and then that finishing order and it being a dull race in between. I think there's definitely something happening to achieve that again. I've got even more faith in McLaren than Ellie May does and I've gone for a Norris win with Piastri second and Albon third. Um, I'm being optimistic at this point. There's no way I'm winning the predictions championship. so. I might as well have fun with it. And um, if it comes true, more to me for predicting it, but uh, Norris win would be really nice to see. Piastri getting that podium eventually would be quite good. And Albon getting a podium for Williams, I think would be a really good way to sort of cement why he's in the sport and equally prove a lot of the doubters about Williams' performance this year wrong. It would be terrible for Logan Sargent though because he'll come home P17 and wonder why the hell his teammates 14 places ahead of him.
0: No one's put anything to do with Alonso and I feel like in the rain he might That's be That's because we quite... would
1: like him to surprise us in just a very unexpected but not unexpected kind of way
2: and you're saying the unwritten thing here of shh that does Fernando do his job. And equally there's no rain in any of the meaningful sessions i.e. qualifying and race so I don't think Alonso sort of is going to get that opportunity. Um, so fast as
0: well.
2: Japanese fans do very much love him Um, so at least he's got the crowd behind him Um, fastest lap Timo you're sticking with Carlos Sainz till it happens yes he says he he just sort of shakes his head nausea yeah that's exactly what I mean I said yes oh I just didn't hear you it didn't come through you can edit around that probably can might leave it in we'll see what happens Ellie mate, you've gone for Lewis Hamilton
0: Yeah, I just keep picking Mercedes drivers for some reason For fastest laps Don't know why Just do One day it will Pay dividends, I guess
2: We'll wait and see Meanwhile, I've gone for Charles Leclerc Because I don't know See what happens really Um, Didn't do too badly Last year Racing against Perez Right until the line (sighs) We'll just see what happens With him this year, I suppose but then it comes to our wild predictions and it's either points or not finishing at all when it comes to these. So we'll start with Ellie May and your wild predictions. Uh,
0: both Alpines in the points. I think after both of their drivers putting in good performances in Singapore, I mean, Pierre Gasly sort of it paid off well. He did get into the points. Obviously, Ocon didn't because of his his car let him down. So I don't know, I'd just like to see them both get into the points because they deserve it because they've had so many points taken away from both of them for no fault of their own.
2: It'd be nice to see that. Yeah. Timo, you've gone for even more points for a certain driver.
1: There's a logic to it. He finished P thirteen, then P eleven, then P nine. So it stands to reason that Liam Lawson will now finish P seven in the Japanese Grand Prix. So that is what I shall predict.
2: So that would be P five in Qatar, P three in. Austin. Well, he's not going to
1: be any. He's not going to be in Austin, so I don't need to keep going with that rule for too much longer.
2: Could win the Mexico Grand Prix though if you keep extrapolating that pattern.
1: I wouldn't mind that, but I don't know how we make that happen. Go and break Daniel Ricciardo's other wrist. Can we just do something to Yuki instead? Make it fair. Balance it out a bit.
2: No, Yuki's too cute. That's like sort of harming a kitten. I'll do it. Monster. Um, I've gone for, meanwhile, a double Red Bull DNF. Um, I think Perez is getting a bit desperate at this point and really chucking his car into situations it ought not to be in, mostly the side of Alex Albon or Yuki Tsunoda at this point in time. Um, So... I wouldn't be surprised if he oversteps the mark and finds himself skittering through the gravel surrounded by bits and pieces of what used to be his Red Bull. Um, and we haven't had like a proper mechanical failure for a Red Bull for a while. So let's have... Also one of those not had a proper turn happen. one
1: incident in Japan for a good few years and that would be the place for it. If yeah, DNF.
2: Very much. And oh, it's happened immediately. Sort of McLaren into mm-hmm. Ferrari, Prost into Senna sort of thing would be quite fun. And... Um, that would be interesting to see so I think there's certainly outcomes where I end up with my double red bull DNF which then certainly opens the door for Norris Piastri album on the podium and a, a Charlotte fastest lap with a Norris pole so um, we do have two more predictions though before we wrap
1: things up because over on Instagram we did ask some people if they had any predictions and naturally Hash Chap predicted a Hash 1-2 I admire his optimism I think we're having a hell of a crazy race if that does happen and then, guest from Singapore preview, Jonathan Coo has made the bold prediction that Sonoda will complete more laps than he has in the previous two Grand Prix combined. So it's about 50 50, I reckon. So that's one lap. So that's he's got to complete one complete lap. One lap. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big ask, though, when you look at the last two races. He's got a lot of bad luck at the weather.
2: I don't know if it's a big ask or a low bar. It's somehow both. Um, I mean, he's a small man. Yeah. Which he wraps up. T- Small but mighty. It's like Purcell. You should have that as a nickname. And that's all we've got time for on this week's episode. Join us again soon when we'll be reviewing the Japanese Grand Prix. And um, you've left in the bit that says, and the feeder series action from across the weekend. There, There isn't any significant stuff. I don't know anyone who has
1: access to this Google Doc. You can't blame that all
2: on me. You're the copy paste machine. Um, so, I fixed be- an a nice bit at the bottom. Mm. Um, so make sure you've liked subscribed and got notifications turned on to not miss anything uh, Timo where can the people find you you can find me over on, on the Curbs the
1: Nitro Rx podcast Paddock Sorority Instagram and Is It Fast where there is a brand new review up for the BBC documentary Fast Track Glory, which you should check out if you can watch it in the UK and if not put a VPN and watch it if you're somewhere else in the world because it's worth your time it's only half an
2: hour go on you know you want to very good. Ellie May Taylor, where can the people find you?
0: Oh, it's a bit weird when people say my full name. Um
2: it would make it seem like you're in trouble.
0: It, yeah. And I think as well, because no one at school called me by my first name either. So whenever I hear like my hear my full name, it's just I don't know. Scary, isn't it?
2: You still haven't asked the question, though.
0: uh, You can find me over on our Instagram page where I do the graphics or on our TikTok account. I will also be hibernating because it's become quite cold.
2: Autumn has struck the UK and it has struck the UK hard. Um, Anyway, and I can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok as at Jesse on Cars, as well as writing for Classic Car Weekly. I think you can pick up our latest issue now, which has got a road test of the Lotus Cortina in it, plus some other interesting bits and bobs oh. besides. You seem upset, Ellie. Anyway. No, it's an R as in R. I love the
0: Cortina.
2: It's a nice little car, and a fun, fun little piece, actually, it looks back at the history of its development as the car turns 60 this year, which is a nice little milestone. Um, Yeah, that's all we've got time for. We'll be back after the Japanese Grand Prix, which is a god-awful time, so I wish you all the best with getting up for it.